What energy level are you bringing today? Very much Friday morning. Too much week left over. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm... The the spirit is cheerful, but the body is uh, is confused why a duvet is not currently enveloping it. <laughs> why am I vertical? <laughs> Welcome to the A to Z of happiness with Anya Pierce and me, Mark Stedman. Join us as we unpack the science of happiness one letter at a time. This week, it's E for energy. Are you one of those people who is energised by other people? Or is it ideas? You know, what is it for you? Well, I mean, isn't that kind of like the... It's so funny you said, are you energised by other people? Because I think that is one of the misnomers about being introvert and extrovert. Mm. It's it's kind of, you know, how do you get your energy? Or, or, or that actually extroverts like being around other people and introverts mm-hmm. don't. And, you know, in from what I know in the classic kind of understanding of it, it is more about the energy generation. You know, how do you recharge? And for years, I actually thought I was an introvert because I would find being around people really tiring. And then I realized it depends on the people, to be honest. <laughs> Have you ever seen uh, the TV show, What We Do in the Shadows? Oh, I haven't, but I, I, I keep meaning to. There is a character there whose name uh, will, will, will return to me in a moment. Uh, Colin Robinson, who is an energy mm. vampire. And uh, everybody always refers to him by his full <laughs> name, Colin Robinson. Uh, and that, that is, yeah, he, he, he's, he has all these different tactics for zapping people's energy. And of course, he works in a sort of cubicle type office and and does all the things that you would expect someone in a in an american sort of cubicle office to do to to sort of drain people's energy and it's just all those little bits of office politics and oh wednesdays am i right uh you know it's it's <laughs> it's just being that type of person and it's it's a wonderful thing to watch oh my goodness yeah that that's it's it has been bumped up my yeah. list yeah. <laughs> but it's but it's interesting you know just kind of thinking on that you know the introversion mm. extroversion you know most of us are ambiverts yeah. you know we're in the middle and and we and we fluctuate it's very rare to find someone who's completely on one end of the spectrum or the other i still don't know what, but, what i am in that in that regard yeah and i think it's it's just noticing is giving yourself what you mm. need because we all of us need different kinds of, of, of rest, of recharging. And no matter how extroverted you are, there will be I'm sure there will be times when someone needs to just be with themselves so they can hear themselves. And even the most introverted people, and I've known I've known a few who, you know, are while they may be ambiverts, they're mostly on that that side of the spectrum. You know, do need to have just know that there's someone around. You know, the idea of in neurodiversity. I, I read a lovely piece which said, you know, neurodiverse love languages is pa- one of them is parallel play. So you can actually be be in the same space as someone, just doing something different, and actually having that level of, and then because often extroversion suggests interaction. Whereas that just suggests, you know, cohabitation, yeah, co-regulation, 
sharing the space and how that can be, you know, just in and of itself really lovely yeah, and really restorative. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I think particularly thinking about energy in this regard and with other people, you know, we all have all need social rest at some point in the desire, in the need to be seen and heard. And also if you are and I don't know how scientific this is a term as term, but empathic. Mm-hmm being empathetic, mm-hmm. you know, being more sensitive to the energies, feelings and emotions and and physical bodily sensations of another person. Mm-hmm. You know, that means that, yeah, you may be particularly sensitive to people who you then, whether you tell, you probably won't tell them that they're an energy vampire, mm-hmm. but you can draw people to you who can be really top up their own cup directly from you. <laughs> In a way which is not entirely healthy for... <laughs> or easily renewable. <laughs> yeah. It's not an easily yes. renewable resource. It's not. It's not. Well, tell me about spoon theory. Yeah, because I think this speaking is... Speaking of segues. Things... <laughs> speaking of segues, because one of the ways which I now look at energy is framed through something, a theory coined by Christine Misandero quite a few years ago now called the spoon theory which is taken from a chronic health perspective. She has lupus. And one day she was in a cafeteria with her best friend um, having lunch. Uh, and she asked her, you know, you know what, what's it like having lupus and being chronically ill? And Christine was kind of a little bit dazed by this because she was like, well, you've seen me, you know, taking my pills, you know, physically helping me when I'm incapacitated but you still don't actually understand what it's like to have my experience. And Christine had a flash of insight, a flash of inspiration, and she grabbed some spoons. As I said, in a cafeteria. She had a dozen spoons laid out in front of her. And the spoon theory is this idea of our actions take units of energy. And, you know, a healthy person, when they open their energy cutlery drawer, her spoons, knives, forks... That strange spatula thing, which you're not quite sure where it came from, but it's occasionally useful at Christmas. You know, all these different things, all these different utensils. And they have a sense that if they, each time they open the drawer, there's always going to be some more in there. Whereas the spoon theory, if you're chronically ill, and, you know, this is something, it's not just people with lupus, but so many of us, including myself with chronic fatigue, you know, we open the drawer and we have a very finite number of spoons. And when you start to break down actions which you take for granted, like getting up in the morning, you know, the physical action of, you know, managing to get the, the, the covers off, might take a spoon if you have very small spoons, you know, being able to get upright. I remember when I was at my most ill, it would be day, take me days to shower. And I would do it in the morning because in the evening, I if I did it in the evening, I didn't have enough energy at that point of the day and to even dry my hair. So I had to do it in the morning, but I would get up, have a shower, and that would be, it would wipe me out so much I'd have to go back to bed with wet hair so I had enough energy to sleep enough and rest enough so I'd have enough energy to get up and actually dry my hair and eat. And so the spoon theory is this idea of, you know, we have discrete units of energy and some of us have smaller units and use them up much more quickly than other people and this is it has been one of the 
biggest challenges for me is because, you know, my personality is still very energetic. <laughs> Just a little bit. But I noticed I, I, I make my friend Vicky laugh and I describe myself as a fizzy little mm-hmm. thing. And yet my physical capacity to follow my mind as it scampers, bounces, dances through the Skitters, world. Skitters even. Yeah. Oh, skitters is a fabulous word, darling. Skitters through the world. Is, is impaired by the units of energy I have, the difficulty and that it takes for me to recharge them and, and regather them fully and how quickly they are spent. Does that lead to, or can that lead to a sense of sort of feeling trapped within your own body? Because if you've got this mental energy that fizzes and and you know it's it's the, it's the little it's the little baraka tablet but but you're but it's trying to fizz in a in a shot glass rather than a you know a a, 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 a highball does that yeah how, what what what's that sensation like frustrating <laughs> it's very difficult we live in a society which tends to make a correlation between self-worth and productivity mm-hmm. and having lots of ideas and lots of energy in one in one domain and being unable to manifest it in a physical mm. one is is challenging you know i i can be quite aware sometimes of of the gap between what i'd like to do and what i'm able to do and it's and it's it's in a constant negotiation process between between all, all aspects of myself you know I, I can't say just two because i to, to quote quote uh, uh, walt whitman i contain multitudes mm. and some of them have an argument occasionally <laughs> but yeah just being able to try not to be worn out by the mental side of things as well actually it can be one of the challenge, most challenging things for me because yeah it's 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 like an it's like when you take your car for an MOT they have to do the emissions test and do they have the car on the rollers you know revving the engine but it's not going mm-hmm. anywhere sometimes it can feel like that and then can be an awful lot of emissions as i call you know insecure thinking oh as opposed to like flatulence okay <laughs> well, I often think in- insecure thinking is just mental, mental gas. Mental gas, yes. In- yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because we're digesting things. And just because, you know, you have a thought in your head doesn't mean it's true, doesn't mean it's real, doesn't even mean it's really what you think. It just means you've got a thought in your head. Or as I call it, wind. Uh... <laughs> oh, that's... Ooh, ooh, I like that. As someone who's... Sorry, just just a, just a quick sidebar and then we'll, t- we'll, 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 we'll talk about three prompts. <laughs> Um, but as someone who often gets those uh, unhelpful re- re- reminders of things past, uh, of things I've said or done that bring a, an absolute shiver to my spine that I sort of have to shake out, I love the idea of just going, oh, no, just a uh, little bit of little bit of mental wind there. Um, you know, it's it's just it's yeah, that's 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 quite helpful actually. Rather than feel like it has to be uh you know, exorcised out you foul demon to actually just go <laughs> Ah, there we go. It's quite that's quite useful. Cause cause to to me it is this thing of you know, it is you think about the way the mind digests mm. things and sometimes it, it go it chews things over and you think about your own physical digestive system, how that can get you can get bloated. Mm-hmm. You can get, you know, you can get pains and you can feel uncomfortable. 
And then, you know, you par- it passes. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't have to do anything. Like the natural process, you know, helped in allow that to go through and things naturally. It's it's the being attached to the potential significance. Oh, if I'm thinking about this all the time, mm. you know, does that does does that make it significant? It's kind of like, no, you're just kind of, your subconscious is chewing something over because it can't quite digest it. And then it. so, so weirdly that it, that comes back on itself in the fact that if you do the mental digestion too much or if you do it badly then you actually end up with a physical ailment like an ulcer or or you know some other yeah. kind of problem that actually does affect the digestive system as i have experienced in my life <laughs> yeah. as, as, as a lot yeah. of us have yeah. actually yeah. And, and and it actually can go both ways you know the gut brain axis yes. You know, there's there's lots of research coming up now which shows how much our gut biome influences our mental well-being and our mental oh. state. So, um, and you know, the and there's a a study I read recently which suggested there's a correlation between or the noticing the high incidence between people who experience depression and anxiety and uh, digestive issues mm. simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So, and I I know for myself when I was at my most depressed, I was actually going to the doctor with you know di- with digestive issues and that and at a certain point they were they were promising offering threatening to put a camera down mm-hmm. my throat at which point i was like look i've been reading enough books to know that this is probably psychosomatic in my particular case mm-hmm. and the doctor going wow <laughs> wow you you like really and it's like yeah because I, I i you know even though i wasn't able to articulate exactly what it was you know i had a strong sense you know my my, I don't want to say my inner wisdom. I just think, you know, I'd read enough Louise Hay, mm-hmm. but I just sensed that there was something which I I wasn't digesting. And certainly, it's really interesting. In the last few years, even despite my illness, which often includes digestive issues, they have abated, you know, considerably. The more I've done self work, the more that I've uh, meditated and self-compassion actually being able to digest myself mm. as I am without trying to you know put up too much of a fight against you know me being me has been really helpful for that so uh, let's look at let's look at uh, let's look at our three questions the <laughs> first one being where are you slash we I guess where are we directing our energy uh, and I, I, I like this idea that we, we've talked before privately about the away towards and against principles. The Horvonian Karen Hornby, I think it is, uh, or Horny, she came up with this idea that it's kind of like a defense mechanism. And we can either move away from something, which is your classic flight response. We can we can respond. We can move towards something that is frightening us, which is like the fawning. We're trying to pacify mm. something, or we can be against, which is of course your fight instinct. You know, the kind of like okay, put them up, put up, put, put up your jeans. Nah. This is something that I, I, I've I've sometimes had to ask myself. You know, am I directing my energies towards protecting myself from something, moving away from something, and I think. You know, we all have, I think I might have said this here before, you know, we only accept the truths that we can bear. And actually putting my energy into distracting myself, removing myself, whether it's literally or physically. Or am I putting my energy into other people? You know, moving the locus of control, locus of power, you know, into other people's hands and being, 
you know, very concerned about them and what they're doing and what they think. Mm. The people pleasing. Mm. Come on, show our hands, people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being, you know, putting all my energy into other people. Or, you know, with the against thing, I always think of, you know, particularly in acceptance and commitment training, this idea of, you know, not accepting things, mm-hmm. you know, railing against them. And whereas if we are able to just be with difficult experiences and be led by our values, you know, it's, that, it's, a, it's a real process but, and a skill, but we can learn it, you know, to be in contact with something that's uncomfortable, be in contact with someone else being uncomfortable as mm-hmm. well, and choosing to respond in a way which is, is at least somewhat aligned to a heart's desire of who we want to be in the world. You know, I had a, I had a very difficult conversation yesterday with someone who really triggered my survival instinct. Okay. And, uh, and, and it was just in a flash. It was just something that they said that like, a situation came up and I felt very, I felt the relationship I had with them being threatened. Mm. And it was really interesting to feel the visceral response you know, that I wanted to to immediately want to push them away, mm-hmm. <laughs> protect myself, you know, to get angry and then, you know, to, to pacify them and things. And then I just like, but hang on, how do I want to be mm-hmm. here? What? How do I want to respond in a situation? And just choosing, you know, to be really honest, you know, but in, in, a, in a self-owning way, you know, uh, I feel X because... Not a, you you made me feel this or whatever, you know, the, the accusatory, the blaming kind of stance. And actually just admitting, you know, when I got that news, you know, my stomach flipped, you know, and I felt anxious and, and threatened. You know, 10 minutes later, I'm, I'm, I'm calmer. I managed to re-regulate myself, but that was my visceral reaction. You know, and this person was really actually, because we have a very good open communication, was very relieved to... You know, it was very sad that I'd had the experience, but very glad that I was able to experience with mm-hmm. them, uh, share the experience with them. And so just thinking about these things of, you know, how you direct your energy, where, how are you trying to use it to protect yourself from, the, from a direct experience of life mm. can, be, can be an interesting one. And that makes me think about what we say yes to, what we say no to what we allow and what we uh, and what we don't allow either in or i guess yeah what you know what we what we're not allowing to affect us or or we're not allowing ourselves to have to do yeah yeah because it is something you know that Oliver Berkman in the wonderful book 4000 weeks talks about the fact that you know we have an infinite to-do list mm-hmm. and by choosing to say yes to something because we have a finite time on this planet it is inevitable that, you know, whether we are conscious of it or not, we are not using that, that same energy for something else. We don't have it. We can't reuse that energy again. And actually just thinking, I, I, there was a lovely piece by Danielle Laporte, who I mentioned, I think, last week with the, the Desire Map. She did, she got a piece, a, uh, a blog post called, talking about a stop doing mm-hmm. list. And, you know, she asked the marketing genius, Seth Godin, mm-hmm. for his and he wrote down, I think, just did about, about a dozen of these. And I'll only give a couple, but th- these are the ones that really kind of jump out for me. I will stop keeping score in games I don't need to win and keeping score in games I can't win and wasting time on people I can't please. It's weird to think that uh, that's such a wonderful peek into into someone like him because, I mean, you know, I'm not going to take us on a goading 
uh, tip here, mm. but it's it's interesting to to have that sort of peek inside for someone who you don't think of as necessarily because he's so secure in his in his ideas and well i mean literally like two of the other things on his list are trying so hard when it came to persuading other people to change their mm. minds and working for jerks <laughs> You know, you would assume that he only has to work with people who also feel the same. And so it is interesting that he also is someone who feels like, yeah, he's playing games that he doesn't need to play or trying to win games that he doesn't need to or trying to convince people. And it's, it's, I, I find that assuring that someone as successful uh, and I think as, as wise as him uh, also suffers from some of the same things that us mortals do. Wow, you know, look, any excuse to mention self-compassion, but it is one of the three pillars is common humanity, actually realizing that you're not alone. And so often, you know, we compare our insights to other people's outsides, mm-hmm. yeah, as the phrase has it, you know, and we compare to despair. And just knowing that, you know, yes, someone like Seth Godin is also mortal, also human, also puts his socks on one foot at a time and tries to to, to win games, which it, it, it's just impossible to do so so next up then is looking at what gives us energy what can you tell me about strengths well i mean it's one of the core tenets of positive psychology really is talking about because so often what makes us unhappy is we're focusing on the things that we can't do and we magnify them up you know i I think i mentioned in the belonging thing the um the idea of the the, the big eye, little eye exercise, and there'll be a PDF for that in the show notes, where we draw, draw a big eye and then we, we think, and we put a tiny little eye in for each one of our attributes or qualities. And we realize that, you know, we can't be sum- summarized in just one of those little eyes. You know, we are a big eye that contains all these different things. And so many people without support might put in all of their faults. Mm all of their weaknesses, you know, oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do that. And define themselves by what they're not able to do. And strength is a way of recognizing. Very often, I think one of the things which I find with strength, actually, is it's at its best when other people help you to find them. Mm. Because so often we take for granted or don't even notice the things that we're good at. Because, well, it's just us. Well, it's just me. That's just something that, yeah, meh. You know, and we kind of like dismiss and deny. Whereas someone goes, no, you're really good at X. You're really good at this. You know, I, I, I see you doing that. And I really admire it because you, you seem so effortless. Mm. And it's like, well, yeah, it's because it comes naturally to me. And I'm not really even, even thinking about even it. Like, and I have I- to do, like, that's, that's how I have to operate. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I have yeah. to do these things. So I don't even think about it. That's the only way it occurs to me to behave in this situation. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a positive and negative mm-hmm. to this. Because... It's the difference between choice and compulsion for mm. me. Uh, you know, our mutual friend, uh, the wonderful Matthew Bellringer, talks about empathy as a learnt trauma response. Mm. And you know, I think both you know both of us would probably have people coming, you know, having a conversation and going, oh, you know, sensing that feel, you know, getting that sense of being seen and heard, and us empathising with them and and feeling what they're feeling and things. And you know, a strength taken too far becomes a weakness again. Mm. If if you overdo a strength, you know, too much, you use it without discrimination, 
you know, you can actually cause more, more, more harm than good. Yeah, I mean, watch, watch um, any of the of the spiders, spiders man. <laughs> it's the spi- yes, the spiders man, and uh, and you, you, you know, within the first sort of twenty minutes, like that's that's exactly what you're seeing. Um, Uncle yeah. Ben had it right. He did, he did, and. It's hard sometimes. I, I like the Strengths Profile. Um, I think strengthsprofile.com, their take on it, and though others do it mm-hmm. as well, of their definition of strengths are things that you're good at and energize mm. you, which can be quite difficult to pass from things that are learnt behaviors, which are things you are good at, but actually drain mm-hmm. you. And I think for a lot of us, we get paid for the learnt behaviors. And we long <laughs> to do the ones which come naturally to us and energize us simultaneously. Mm. And, you know, I love, you know, particularly, I, you know, looking at designing, you know, our lives you know, around these things. You know, there is a, uh, Dave Evans and Bill Burnett's wonderful book, Designing Your Life, actually has a wonderful exercise where you just keep a diary for a week on, and marking, jotting down some activities and on two dials, one of them is engagement and the other one is energy. Mm. And actually note it, and the two may not be the same. You can be really engaged with something, but it actually depletes mm. you. And actually have starting to find nuance in these things. And then breaking that down further, you know, what was it about it, you know, an exercise or, or an activity which felt so good? Was it the people, the environment? Was it the context? And just getting this data so that we can start to move the dials intentionally for ourselves and in our lives and and crafting something which allows us to experience our energy more sustainably more of the time. Well, the next question that occurs to me, because it's here on the list, is uh, is how we can use our energy to help us navigate. And uh, I know that you are a uh, a Martha Beck fan, Stan, perhaps <laughs> a little bit. Little and I bit. believe she has something to say on the matter. She does. She does. I mean, I I'm loving her book, Finding Your Own North Star, which is you know, if you are listening right now and going, ah, I don't know, this all sounds lovely and fluffy, but I, how do I how do I do mm-hmm. this shit? She's got tons of examples and stories you know for her she originally started as a a, a scholar of Chinese you know she's a Ameri- white and American and she but she grew up in a very academic household and it was pretty much the hardest subject you, she could study and she threw all her brain and all her might at it and just was constantly lethargic constantly fatigued and she was in a bookshop and she's looking at an art book and the thought came into her what if you could be an artist and she's had like this this transcendental moment for about 10 minutes of a sudden soaring of energy mm. she f- suddenly life stopped being in black and white and came into color as she thought about changing her 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 uh, her her degree mm. to study art instead and then she was like oh no but i've invested in doing this and i've got to finish it and no one will 
what would people think if I change my subject and the <coughs> walls came closing in? <laughs> Sunk cost fallacy. Yeah. And 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 also, you know, this this fear because she talks about, you know, the social self, the social self, or as we might call it, the ego or whatever, was very invested in what other people thought yes. of her. And doing the right thing of being this academic person who followed the rules, did it all right, you know, would become a, become a, a scholar and a lecturer, even if it killed her. And it kind of was. And, she, you know, she talks time and time again with different examples of people who she's coached, who part of their ailment and, you know, you can tell, take the word ailment as, you know, physical, mental, emotional, whatever. Part of their challenge was that they were thwarting, constantly thwarting their their aliveness, mm. their innate sense of being drawn to something which would awaken their soul. And I think this is how, you know, we can use our energy as a, as a way to help us navigate is kind of like the Michael Neal thing. He often talks about playing, a, you know, a, a game of hotter or colder. Mm. You know, we can often sit and think ourselves into a situation, but there's so much that can occur which we cannot even contemplate or fathom, you know, particularly if our brain is already full of mental gas, you know, we're already digest, we're spending so much time chewing on our own thoughts. Oh. But yeah, rather than actually having contact with the present moment and putting, you know, this idea of there being an, an, an aliveness, uh, how life wants to live through us. And it can only do that if we are taking even just like half a step towards something we'll get feedback we'll get data and then we'll know okay am i getting towards something does it feel warmer do i feel bigger expansive more alive or do i feel colder which is then you know neither of these are good or bad it's just data mm. and just and just and recognizing that actually you know something which i know you're brilliant at is shipping stuff you know and getting things out there and actually just taking action, you know, allows for you to, allows for all of us to get some kind of feedback. And you may not like it. You know, a number of times I've put myself out on the line and, <laughs> and the universe is going, oh, honey, I mean, I love your ambition. Go, well done, but no. Excellent effort, darling. And, and maybe not. Mm. And yet that has still been... I mean, it's an old, an old NLP phrase, isn't it? There is no failure, only feedback. Mm. And actually, it, it can be such an act of ordinary courage, as Brene Brown would put it, an ordinary courage of being just being able to take a step to actually see how the universe responds to us. And only by doing that can we actually get a sense of where we are in the world, you know, through being in contact with it and our experience. There's a couple of things that that are coming to mind, and and one of them is, I'm planning a big, a big life changing move, and mm. I've put it off for so long because I've had these preconceived notions of what would stand in my way. But when I decided to ship it as an idea, you know, and and actually just take that sort of kinetic energy uh, that that I have towards creative projects. And just say, mm. well, what if I started? And mm. so far, it's very early days, but so far the feedback that I'm getting from from everyone is 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 really cautiously positive. 
I, you know, I, I thought I would face a lot more resistance than I am. And, and so at the moment, a lot of the resistance is my own cautiousness. Yeah. Whereas I was expecting a lot more gatekeeping and a lot more finger wagging and a lot more, have you really thought this through? And it's like, actually, I, I sort of, it's not that I have thought it all through because if I thought it all through, I'd never do it. I'm thinking it through in stages. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're thinking it as you yeah, do it. I'm taking a step and then I'm thinking about the next step and I'm taking a step rather than trying to lay out the whole plan and get everything because I've, I've that's been the idea for the last three years and I've made no progress on it. It wasn't until I decided, mm. let's uh, to, to quote the streets, let's push things forward, um, which is the <laughs> one and only time I'll ever quote the streets. Um <laughs> It was it was at that point where you, you start to look at these things that we think of as uh, as barriers and um, and the energy is is a lot more warm and a lot more positive and a lot more open and spacious and yeah full of full of possibility than the idea that doors are constantly being closed and so that's um, that's that's been quite a thing so yeah small small steps small steps and this is how we generate momentum yeah you know and, and it and it, and it is that that you know look, I, I i have people who have actual proper science degrees so they can explain it far better than i can um one of one of them's an astrophysicist if i recall the carlos is correct mm-hmm. thing but but yeah this idea you know this it takes a lot of much more energy to get an object into motion but once it's in motion it's uh, it can generate its own momentum through that not and actually i think for a lot of it, if we can redirect all our energy used in thinking and planning and worrying and over planning and overthinking and over worrying and actually just put a little, you know, where are you placing your energy? Where are you directing your yeah. energy? A friend of mine it has decided to spend an hour a week doing something. And, and she go, just thinks, you know, just by committing an hour a week to it, that, that will mount up. Yeah. It's not much, but it's 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 a hundred. It's like so much. She's not doing anything in that realm at the moment. Yes. <laughs> and you know the universe. You know the universe works with us. You know if if we allow it, and she in particular is is, is phenomenal at that. And it's just allowing ourselves to start actually and be intentional with our energy and the momentum that it can carry in our life towards where we want to go, rather than away, fearful. Of the things that we don't want well to finish us off i wonder if if by any small chance you you had some wise words from um rainier maria relka Rilke. i took a good run up at that didn't i yeah you took such i i mean i i every time i've said uh his name previously i've always he's always so always sounded like jean-luc uh, picard's second in command <laughs> yes. i'm not i'm yeah. kidding you not yeah. <laughs> but yes i was trying to think of something to to close with on this topic about energy and I came across uh, Reina Maria Rilke's as once the winged energy of delight and I thought this with the closing line in particular seemed very apt as once the winged energy of delight carried you over childhood's dark abysses now beyond your own life build the great arch of unimagined bridges wonders happen if we can succeed in passing through the harshest danger, but only in a bright and purely granted achievement can we realise the wonder. To work with things in the indescribable relationship is not hard for us. The pattern grows more intricate and subtle, 
and being swept along is not enough. Take your practiced powers and stretch them out until they span the chasm between two contradictions. For the God wants to know himself in you. The A to Z of Happiness is presented by Anya Pierce and me, Mark Stedman. It's produced by Origin and you can find us at a2zofhappiness.com where you'll also find links to the things we discussed. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them, whichever way is easiest for you. Take care and do join us again next week on the A to Z of Happiness. Thank you.